0: I want to start out this morning by thanking Pastor Rick for preaching for us last Sunday. What a privilege we have to uh, have as our backup preacher here, our former senior pastor, man. it, It doesn't get much better than that, but we're so grateful for Pastor Rick and Gail and their ongoing presence here at our church And uh, Rick did an awesome job. I got to listen to his message this past week, talking about the second half of 1 John chapter 2, looking at the Antichrist. If you missed it last week, Pastor Rick gave away the identity of the Antichrist, all right? So if, if you missed out, make sure you talk to him. He's right over here after the service. He's got a great theory on that one, so I'd encourage you to check him out. But uh, I want to thank Rick again. And this morning, we're going to continue on in the book of First John, looking at our series, Walking in Light and Love. And uh, this morning, as we begin, I thought I would just take you on a little tour of some of my own personal uh, family tree. Uh, I, w- I want to introduce you to uh, some of my, my heritage. Uh, first of all, on the screen, you'll see this is my grandfather, Harold Carlson. And uh, my grandfather, Harold, was a Baptist minister for over 60 years. Uh, He founded Calvary Baptist Church over in Roseville. Uh, The the steppas, in fact, know him from their days there at Calvary. And uh, he served at uh, Grace Church in Edina for about five years in the 70s. Uh, Back in the 50s and 60s, he pastored First Baptist Church of Lakewood, California, which at the time, right after the Second World War, was the fastest growing church in America. In fact, Time Magazine actually did an article on my grandfather and his ministry there at First Baptist Church. But uh, my grandpa was one of the the great preachers of his generation. In fact, uh, some of you may know the the name of Robert Shuler in the Crystal Cathedral. used to have the Sunday morning television program. Robert Shuler used to tell seminary students, if you want to learn how to preach, go listen to Harold Carlson. So uh, I'm, I'm really proud of my grandpa and the, the spiritual legacy that he left for, for our family. And uh, my grandpa, one of his sons, was my father, Ron Carlson, uh, I've shared a little bit about my dad here over the years. My dad uh, passed away eight years ago at the age of 61 years old. And, uh, but before that, he had served for 30 years as a Christian apologist. He traveled all over the world, over 80 countries, uh, holding evangelistic seminars, apologetic seminars, uh, doing similar work to some of the guys that we bring here to our apologetics conference, equipping people in the church to have answers for their faith and to share the hope of Jesus with people who are are seeking truth and skeptics and and looking for answers. And so uh, I have just a really incredible legacy following in the footsteps of Both my grandfather, my father. Of course, you have yours truly here on the screen. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as the senior pastor of the greatest church in America, and uh, (laughs) such an honor. But uh, you know, as you look at these three generations on the screen, you might begin to notice uh, a little bit of a family likeness here, right? (laughs) Um, I, I don't know if it's if it's the hairline that gives it away. Uh, you know, my, my grandpa used to say a bald head is a lot like heaven. It's a bright and shiny place, and there's no parting there. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I carry that with pride. But, uh, you know, if you look closely at these pictures, there, there's some clear family likeness. Uh, we, we all have the same big ears, we got the, the same nose, same chin, same cheeks. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when you look at whether it's my family or, or a lot of families, you'll see these very strong features or traits that are passed down from one generation to the next. There's, there's a family likeness that's present in, in the generations. Of course, we have the, the most uh, handsome of the Carlson men, uh, my son <laughs> Caleb, there, proudly carrying on the Carlson tradition. But uh, I think Caleb uh, escaped the Carlson genes when it came to hair. Uh, He inherited my wife's family. He's got a nice thick head of hair, so I think he's in good shape. But uh, but you see the family likeness there in four generations, those traits that are passed on. And and I share this illustration with us this morning because just like many of us in this room would would notice when we look in the mirror, family traits, likenesses that, that have carried on from our ancestors before us, as children of God, friends, it's important that we also recognize that, that there's a family likeness amongst all of us who call ourselves children of God. There are certain features, certain traits, certain characteristics in which we all share in common as God's children. And today, as we turn to the book of 1 John, starting in chapter 2, verse 28, moving into chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we're going to see John begin to highlight for the early Christians 2,000 years ago some of these features that are found in every child of God, some of these common traits that we can recognize. Last week, Pastor Rick talked about the reality of the Antichrist, these false teachers that were leading people in the church astray, and, and that was one of John's primary motives in writing this letter was to encourage Christians to understand truth from error. And so last week, John described for us some of the nature of these antichrists, how to recognize these antichrists. But now today he's going to turn to speak a a word of assurance to the believers, to the Christians, helping them understand this is what a child of God looks like. This is who you are as children of God. He's going to begin to highlight for them some of the features, some of the traits that they could see in themselves, in their fellowship to identify, okay, who really are the children of God amongst us versus the, the children of the devil as John is going to talk about. How do we determine those, those who are truly children of God from those who are walking and living in error? And so this is what we're going to see in our passage this morning. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. I want to read our passage, and then I want to come out and highlight for us today five features that are found in every child of God. So let me read our passage for us today. You can follow along on the screens behind me. John says, Now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor the one who does not love his brother. This is a powerful passage. It's a challenging passage. It's a a convicting passage. And and today's message, friends, is a message that is extremely relevant for all of us, just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. See, See, this passage and the message this morning is one that will call us to examine our lives. And and if necessary, to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. And so I want us to spend some time digging in, looking at the the teachings of John here in, in in this passage. John highlights for us today five features of a child of God. How do we recognize those who are truly of God's family? Here John gives us five key features. That will be found in every child of God. Number one, John begins our passage this morning telling us that a child of God is one who is going to be confident at Christ's return. Last week, Pastor Rick talked about the reality that we are living in the last hour, the last days, and as Pastor Rick explained so well, that that period of time refers to the the period between the coming of Jesus, his first coming, and his ascension into heaven to the time when he promised he would return for his people. And so we are in that period, this in-between, the last hour, the last days, awaiting Christ's return. And John tells us here in verse 28, he charges us as Christ's followers. He says, now little children, abide in him. And why? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Now, friends, remember, John is writing to Christians here. And so you have to ask the question, well, wait a minute. If I am a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, why on earth would I ever shrink away from Jesus in shame at his coming? Why would I be ashamed at the coming of Jesus Christ? Well, friends, to understand what John is referring to here, we, we need to look to some some of the Apostles Paul, Apostle Paul's instructions on the second coming of Christ. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, we read this from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, the Apostle Paul and in other places in Scripture talk about the reality of believers appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, known as the Bema seat in the Greek. And all followers of Jesus will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, friends, understand this. This is not a judgment about salvation. Remember, Jesus bore our judgment when he died on the cross. So if you've placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're not going to be in fear of God's judgment at his second coming. But what we will stand before the judgment seat in regards to are the things that we had done on behalf of the Lord during our time on this earth. And Paul tells us that Jesus will recompense us. We will be recompensed for the deeds done in the body. Recompense, the the word in Greek, kamizo, is an interesting word. It's a word we don't use very often. We don't use that word recompensed, right? What does that mean? It means to be paid back. And so Paul says that we will stand before the judgment seat and Jesus will pay us back in order, in other words, he will reward us for the things we did on the, in our body on his behalf during our time on earth. Now we go back to 1 John, and John says, Dear children, abide in him so that when he comes, you can be confident and not shrink away in shame. And so what John is referring here to, friends, is John is saying, look at abide in Christ. Remain in Christ. Walk with Christ. Let Christ's priorities be your priorities. Because when you abide in Christ, you can know that when he returns, you will be confident. You will have no reason to be ashamed. When you stand before the judgment seat and Jesus is handing out his rewards for the things done in the body, you can be confident that you will have lived a life faithful, following Jesus, serving Jesus, and that you will receive your reward for that. You can have confidence about that fact. You don't have to fear shrinking away in shame because you lived your life in such a way where you abided, you remained, you walked with Christ, living for Christ, serving Christ, making his priorities your priorities. And so John begins his passage this morning with this encouragement for the children of God. Remain in Jesus, abide in Jesus, and then you can be fully confident at his return. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to travel a lot. And he would go on trips out of town for a week at a time, two, three weeks at a time, if it was an overseas trip. And I remember, as a young child, I learned that how I lived while my father was away made a huge difference in terms of what I would experience at his return. Right? <laughs> if if I was uh, you know picking on my brother the whole time my dad was gone, if we were getting in fights, if we were disobeying my mom, disrespecting my mom, look at I knew that when dad returned. I would be shrinking away in shame and, and facing his punishment, right? But I also learned as I grew up and as I matured that when I honored my mom when my dad was away, when I served my mom and helped around the house and was obedient and didn't talk back but, but did my best to love and serve my mom, I would receive my dad's praise at his return. And friends, there was nothing greater as a young boy growing up to receive daddy's praise, to receive his joy and pleasure because I had honored his wishes when, I was, when he was away. And friends, that's exactly what John wants for each of us as God's children. He wants us to be confident at Christ's return, knowing that we had lived faithfully, abiding in Jesus Christ, and so that we can receive his reward when he comes. The second thing John highlights for us in our passage, the second feature of a child of God. John says that a child of God will be highly peculiar to this world. Highly peculiar. In verses 29 through 3, verse 1, John says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. John says, if you're a child of God, you need to understand this. The world isn't going to recognize you. The world isn't going to know you. When I was in seminary, I read a book that made a huge impact on me. It was a book written by a man named Rodney Clapp. He was one of the editors of Christianity Today magazine. The book's title was A Peculiar People, A Peculiar People, It actually was one of the 1997 Christianity Today Book of the Year award winners. And in his book, A Peculiar People, Rodney Clapp argues that in a post Christian culture, in a culture that is increasingly looking at Christianity as outdated and irrelevant, Clap argues that our most powerful witness in this world as Christians is not going to be through our words and through our testimony. Not that those things aren't important, but Clapp argues that our most powerful testimony to a non-believing world will be living in radical faithfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ. Because a world living in rebellion against God, seeing people standing firm upon the principles of God's word are going to look incredibly peculiar. And it's going to be a light that's going to shine very bright in the darkness. And so when we live that way, pursuing righteousness, faithfulness, whether as individuals or as a church, friends, that has a powerful impact on a society that's watching us. And so I've tried to to live my life in that way. I've tried to live my life in, in radical obedience following Jesus. And I'll tell you something, friends, it's not always easy. Many of you know that. Many of you know that walking in faith and obedience to the Lord will sometimes make you look very different from the world around you. You will stand out as a very peculiar kind of person. In fact, I had an experience of this just recently. I'm, I'm coaching my daughter's softball team this summer. This is our third year in a row I've been coaching uh, Addie's softball team. Well, this year, we, we discovered that next weekend, the end of the season tournament is going to take place on Saturday and Sunday, Sunday morning. Well, I called the lady in North Branch who's organizing the tournament. I said, hey, look, this is going to be a problem for our team. And she's like, well, why would that be a problem? And I said, well, I, I have a priority on Sunday morning. I, I attend church, and, and so I, I'm, I'm not playing softball on Sunday morning. And friends, you, you should have seen this woman's face. She looked at me like I was some kind of freak. Like, what do you mean you're going to go to church over playing softball? And you couldn't even believe what she looked at when I told her I was a pastor, Right. <laughs> But friends, in our family, we've made a conscious decision. Look at, we don't do sports on Sundays, okay? Now, here's the deal. I know there is some room to exercise our Christian liberty on that issue, okay? Not a lot of room, but there's some room, okay? So if you're a family that you know, participates in sports on Sunday, I'm not going to judge you for that, but our priority has to be regular, ongoing fellowship with the family of God. And so in our family, we've just made the choice, look at. As peculiar as it makes us to the world around us, this is what we do because it's one of the ways that we've chosen to honor Christ. We've had similar experiences here as pastors at Lakes Free when when couples come to us for for premarital counseling. And and I can't tell you the numbers of times that I've had couples where we find out they're they're living together. They're, They're engaged in premarital sexual activity. And as a pastor, I say, look at here, our heart for you is to start your marriage off doing it God's way. And so what we would ask of you here at Lakes Free is we would ask you to separate from a time, remain abstinent for a time prior to coming together in a biblical marriage. Now, friends, I can't tell you, I've had numerous men and women look at me like I'm from Mars when I tell them that that's our value as Christians. Because that's very different from the world around us. I I remember a number of years ago when I was just starting out in my first career as a youth pastor, I had a friend tell me to to go talk to his financial advisor and kind of get myself set up with a retirement plan at that point in my early 20s. And this financial advisor, he wasn't a Christian I didn't know that going into our conversation, but as as he was looking at my finances, he discovered that I was tithing thousands of dollars every year to my church. And he looked at that and was like, wait a minute, what is this about? And I said, well, this this is one of the ways that we honor the Lord as Christians. And he said, well, Jason, look, if you took that money and invested it, man, you could do a lot with that money. And I said, well, you know, this is a commitment that I make to honor the Lord. See see there's a lot of things that we could talk about that we do as Christians that make us peculiar to the world around us. And it shouldn't surprise us when the world doesn't understand our priorities as followers of Jesus because as John tells us here in verse 1 the world doesn't know Jesus either. In fact John in his gospel in chapter 1 verses 10 through 11 John says this, Jesus he was in the world and the world was made through him And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Friends, the world rejected Jesus. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the world rejects us as his followers. We will be a peculiar people. But understand this, friends. Following Jesus isn't the peculiar thing here. What's most peculiar is that Jesus would ever love us. Or call us his children. But as John tells us, he does. And so the child of God is one who lives to honor the Lord in awe and in wonder over all that Jesus has done for us. The the third characteristic of a child of God, John highlights here in our passage. He says a child of God will be one who is in progress by grace. In progress by grace. Let me read for us uh, verses two and three of chapter three. John says, Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Now, John here is talking about two different aspects of our salvation. He's talking about what is called glorification, but also something called sanctification. And so Jesus says, look at we're children of God, and yet we don't even fully know what we're going to be. We won't know what we're fully going to be until Jesus appears. But we do know this, when Jesus appears, we are going to be like him. And what John's referring to there is our glorification, friends. We will be fully transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. We won't be equal with Jesus, but we will be like Jesus. All of our sin will be completely stripped away. The old nature will be completely removed. We will experience true holiness for the first time as we are transformed, glorified into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But then John goes on and he says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so here John is referring to our sanctification. John is saying, look at a true child of God will seek to live in light of their position in Jesus Christ. And so because I know that I'm a child of God who will one day be glorified and experience full Christ-likeness, my goal in this life now is to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, to engage in that process of sanctification which is growing more and more into the image of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, understand this. There's a 2 a twofold role in this twofold process in the sanctification it's the work of the spirit in our life it's a work of his grace but it's also our striving our effort to purify ourselves just as jesus is pure now we can't do that apart from the holy spirit the holy spirit strengthens us and empowers us to do that but we have to partner with him in that process and john says that look at if you're a child of god you will seek to live in light of this future hope your future glorification. Uh, this week, it, 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 it recalled to me what, uh, what our friend Blake Lazat is currently experiencing. Some of you know Blake Lazat. He's the son of Lisa Lazat, our preschool children's ministry director, director here. This past spring, Blake was signed to an NHL contract, a pro hockey contract, by the Los Angeles Kings. He actually got to play in the last regular season game of the LA Kings. He's a professional hockey player. And friends, guess what? What is Blake doing this summer between now and next season? Friends, he's working out harder than he's ever worked out in his life. He's practicing harder than he's ever practiced in his life. He's no longer practicing like he's in peewees. He's practicing like a pro. Why? Because he's living now in light of his future position. And friends, that's exactly what John calls us to as followers of Jesus. Look at We know we're on the team. We know we're going to wear the uniform. We're going to be made into Christ's likeness one day. And so now purify yourself just as he is pure. You're a work in progress by God's grace in concert with the Holy Spirit. And so John says this is the third characteristic of a child of God. We will be in progress by God's grace. Fourthly, John tells us that a child of God will be one who is living in righteousness. Now here we get to the heart of our passage, really the the meat of our passage. And and, and here in these verses, verses 4 through 10, we find some very alarming statements. We read statements like this in verse 6, No one who abides in him sins. And then John says in the next breath, No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but when you read that, right, that's a, that's a convicting statement. I remember when I was in high school in a youth group Bible study, we were reading this chapter in 1 John, and I remember looking at this thinking, like, man, alive, I, I'm in trouble. I mean, I, I sin all the time. Does this mean I'm not really a Christian? I thought I was a Christian. And, and, and this passage really concerned me. What is, what is John talking about here? No one who sins has seen him or knows him. But friends, to understand what what John is talking about, we we need to have a, a basic knowledge of what he's actually saying in the original Greek language. You see, John isn't talking about sinless perfection here. What John is doing here in these statements, these difficult statements that we read here in verses 4 through 10, they are all in what is called in Greek the present tense, the active voice, the indicative mood. And so what that means in the original Greek is that John is talking about a present, ongoing, habitual pattern in your life. So in other words, to paraphrase John here in verse 6, you could say no one who is a child of God can go on sinning. Look it, if you're a child of God, you just can't go on sinning because it doesn't work that way. It, It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Remember that famous story Jesus told of the young man who demanded his inheritance from his father. And so his father Graciously gave him his inheritance, and this young man went off to a far country and he squandered all of his wealth, his inheritance, in wild living, on parting, on drinks, on, on women. And he ran out of money, and pretty soon all the friends left. He wasn't the popular guy in town anymore, and he couldn't even feed himself, and so he had to take a job taking care of pigs, working at a pig farm, eating the pig slop. And as this young man is wallowing in the pig pen, he thinks back to himself, wait a minute, I had it so much better at my father's home. What what am I doing here wallowing in the pig slop? And so this child turned from his wicked ways and returned to his father and received his father's welcome, his father's grace. You see, a, a true child of the father friend's will no longer be content living in the pig pen. You might fall into the pig pen occasionally, but you're not going to wallow in it. A child of God will seek to return to the Father to abide in faithfulness with him. But sadly today, a lot of people are confused about the nature and role of sin in our lives. Even many who profess the name of Christ and claim to be followers of Christ embrace some very unbiblical views on God's standards when it comes to sin and his call to righteousness. Some of you may be familiar with the TV show, The Bachelorette. Now, I don't watch this show, and I wouldn't commend this show to anybody, but a few weeks ago on social media, I started seeing all of this discussion taking place. Uh, about this young woman. Her name is Hannah Brown. She's the current bachelorette on the TV show. And Hannah Brown says that she's a follower of Jesus. That's part of her testimony, that she is saved. But she's also apparently on the show been very open that she is in an ongoing practice of engaging in premarital sexual relationships. In fact, in one recent episode, speaking to one of the male contestants about her sexual activity outside of marriage, Ms. Brown said, and I quote, I can do whatever. I sin daily and Jesus still loves me. It's all washed. God doesn't judge me. Friends, this is so confused. Ms. Brown has bought into an age-old heresy known as antinomianism antinomianism is nothing more than using god's grace as a license to sin antinomianism is saying that god's righteous standards no longer apply to his people that his grace covers all our sins so we can go on living any way way we want but friends that's an error it's not true and sadly today friends Tragically, many Christians today are building their theology more on the word of reality TV stars than they are on the word of God. What does God tell us on this matter? Look at 1 John 3 verse 9 from our passage this morning. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The word seed here that John uses in the Greek is sperma. And and sperma can refer to both an agricultural seed or the seed of a man. And so John is saying, look at if God's seed abides in you, you literally cannot go on sinning. See, friends, the interesting thing about a seed is that a seed will only reproduce after its own kind. If I go in my backyard and dig a garden and plant a bunch of watermelon seeds, friends, those watermelon seeds will never produce anything but watermelon. And in the same way, an earthly father's seed will never lead to the conception of anything but another human being. A seed will always reproduce after its own kind. And so as John points out here, if God's seed is truly planted in your heart if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, the only possible conception that can arise from that seed will be a life that longs for righteousness. And why is that? It's because God himself is righteous. And again, friends, John isn't talking about sinless perfection here. We've already seen in 1 John that John has made very clear Christians do still sin. But the difference is, friends, John is talking about the disposition of our hearts, your resolve, the the primary bent of your life. Do you practice sin or do you practice righteousness? Are you living in the pig pen or does your heart long to abide with the Father? Are you growing to look more like Christ in your daily life or more like the fallen world in which we live? Now some of you might be thinking this morning, Pastor Jason, I'm a little worried here. All right, I, I, I'm thinking about this and I don't really know if God's seed is truly planted in my heart. And friends, if that's what you're thinking today, that might be the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. See, I agree with the, the famous Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee. He once said, I believe in the security of believers, but I also believe in the insecurity of make-believers. Friends, you may be fooling everybody today. You might show up on Sunday morning and sing 20 minutes worth of praise songs and yet you go home and the rest of the week you're living in the world. Your values are the world's values. Your pursuits are the world's pursuits. Maybe God's seed isn't truly planted in your heart today. But the good news for all of us today, friends, is that we can have a sure and certain hope for security with God. And his name is Jesus. As John shared with us earlier this summer in chapter two, verses one through two, John says this, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. Friends, if you'll call out to Jesus today, and confess your sins, and acknowledge your rebellion. Jesus Christ will truly plant his seed in your heart. The Holy Spirit will come and reside in you, and he will begin to do that work of transformation in your life. If you have that insecurity today, friends, don't leave here with it. Know that you are cleansed, that you're forgiven, that you're a child of God. The fifth feature of a child of God, John highlights here, is that a child of God will be devoted to one another in love. Children of God will be devoted to one another in love. John says in verse 10, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this point this morning because John is going to speak to this next week in our message when we talk about the love that the children of God have for one another. But it's important to recognize this morning, friends. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so a child of God, friends, will be marked by love and concern and compassion for their fellow brothers and sisters. We'll have a heart to serve our brothers and sisters we'll have a heart to reach out and love to our brothers and sisters. Friends, if you don't see that love manifested in your life, that might be another sign that you haven't truly embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord because a child of God will love their brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, John's given us in our passage today five distinguishing features of a child of God. And as we conclude this morning, let me just ask you, When you gaze into the mirror of God's word today, do you see these features reflected in your life? If so, let me encourage you with the word that John used earlier today in verse 28. Abide. Abide in Christ. Remain in Christ. Continue to look to him each and every day as your source of hope and your motivation in life. And as you abide in him, he will be faithful and he will continue to grow you more and more into his likeness. And if you're here this morning and today's passage has convicted you, maybe you've come to recognize that you don't truly have God's seed planted within you. You don't recognize the features of a child of God in your life. Maybe because you've you've allowed that seed of faith to be choked up by a life of rebellion or maybe you've been living in pursuit of worldly things for far too long. Friends, today is your opportunity to set that right, to put your life back on God's path, the path that leads to fullness of life and living in a faithful walk with Jesus. Let me close in a word of prayer for all of us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for the seed of the spirit that is implanted in our hearts, Lord, when we put our hope and trust in you. And God, I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has heard these words from, from your holy word in the, in the book of 1 John, that, that, it, that maybe senses a spirit of conviction this morning that they might take an honest assessment of their lives and, and say, look it, do I see these features of a child of God in my life? And if not, that that might be a call to them right here, right now, to, to say a prayer to you and confess their sins and ask for you to do a, a true work of transformation in their hearts, to give them that assurance of salvation so that they can know that they are walking in wholeness in faithfulness as a child of God. And Father, for those of us who who have that confident assurance, Lord, I pray that we would continue to abide in you, that we would remain in you, Lord, that that we would just do everything in our power and by your grace, Lord, to insulate ourselves from the corrupting influences of this fallen world. God, by your Holy Spirit, shield us from the evil desires of the flesh. Help us to walk in purity and in faithfulness. Help us to strive to honor you in all that we do. And we thank you, God, that we don't fear judgment because of your amazing grace on the cross. You purchased our salvation. But God, let us live in light of eternity. Let us live with the hope of your second coming in view. Let us strive, God, to honor you in all we do so that when you appear, we may not shrink away, but we might stand confidently, awaiting our reward for the things done in the body on your behalf. Jesus, we thank you. We give you all the praise and glory today. Amen. Friends, if you'd like prayer this morning, our elders will be here at the front of the sanctuary. Our Stephen ministers will be here to pray with you. I want to leave you with this benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Please rise. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass. God bless you.